Greetings, I'm Paul Williams, President and CEO of Project for Pride and Living. Welcome to the Race, Place and Policy podcast. PPL has created this space as a way of engaging with our community on the wide range of issues impacting our work on a daily basis here at PPL. It's our firm belief that the complex issues around race, place and policy are central to this, to this dialogue and we thank you for joining us today. This month, our conversation is about opportunity and innovation, particularly in the world of community development and, and neighborhood work. I'm joined by Asala Sol Young, Executive Director of Urban Homeworks, a housing justice organization based in North Minneapolis. Welcome, Asala Sol. Great to have you here. Thanks so much, Paul. It's really fun to be here. So um, I, I actually want to start just by, by learning more, having you uh, uh, share with us a little bit more about Urban Homeworks work. Um, so t tell us a little more about what what you all do. Yeah, absolutely. So Urban Homeworks uh, is first and foremost a housing justice organization. We have been around for 28 years and we began very humble beginnings uh, in the Phillips community in Ventura Village um, with uh, our first duplex uh, rental unit. Um, and from there have grown to have 136 units of affordable housing across the Twin Cities in both North and South Minneapolis, as well as in St. Paul. And uh, for about 20 years have also been developing homes for affordable sale. And so typically our sales go for, um, go to families making 80% of the area median income. Um, but we do range on our homeownership development from 60% to as high as 115%, which is still considered affordable housing. Um, at the center of our work um, is community development, to your point, um, and, and innovation is a big part of that practice for us because we recognize that when we're truly listening to the voices of the community, that that requires a innovative um, spirit, a flexible spirit of engagement that's willing to see the answers that come from community, the solutions that come from community, and adapt to implement them. That's fabulous. Uh, and I, I want to come back to that, especially the thoughts around voice and and engagement and, and innovation. Um, a lot of similarities, actually, with PPL and our beginnings, again, in South Minneapolis, in our case, we started out actually as a tool lending library uh, in, you know, just, you know, lending tools out to folks to, to uh, fix up their homes. And then it became, well, what about that, uh, that crack house down the street? And then, you know, what about yes. uh, that bigger apartment building? And for us, it led into jobs and, and education and schools and, and, but uh, in recent years, I think, as you know, we've, we've also kind of really uh, come built our work around engagement and around voice and and really creating PPL as a platform, you know, for for community voice and for community work uh and and partnerships. So but I'm I'm curious, you know, how did you come by Urban Homeworks and and just tell me a little bit about your background and kind of what brought you to this work. What 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 are you most passionate about kind of in in this work? Absolutely. Before we jump to me specifically, I do want to share with folks that we um, we have a new mission and vision at Urban Homework. So I'm going to just kind of put that out there um, that our new uh, vision is housing justice for all. This is something that our board came to very recently um, in recognizing that our original mission and vision 
we're leaving some folks feeling left out of the conversation. And to your point, Paul, about as the organization's gotten older and grown um, and our learning and awareness of justice work, you know, you know, really wanting to be inclusive and ensure that the voices that are most impacted by unjust housing policies and history are truly centered. And so Housing Justice for All is our vision and our mission is to lead the fight for housing justice so that all people have a safe, stable, and dignified place to live. Um, we're really excited about that new mission and vision. And I think that um, it shows up in many ways. Uh, but one of the ways that that we're really proud of um, is the way that we bring uh, electeds and residents together um, and really demand that our elected officials or candidates are really truly uh, valuing and listening to the voices of those who are going to be most impacted by the policy that they write um, and create. So we're really excited about that. And there'll be more to come from Urban Homeworks on that for those that um, follow both PPL and Urban Homeworks, which I know is probably a lot of folks. Um, and so, Paul, for, for me personally, you know, the work of justice is something that I feel like I was truly raised in. Um, I was born in Evanston, Illinois, so I'm not a native of Minnesota, um, but I came to Minnesota by way of Carleton College, where I went to undergrad. And, you know, my path was always like my family really raised me to be very clear about politics, um, history, African-American history. Um, and our freedom fighters throughout the years, right? And so those are my idols growing up. And it feels like it was kind of like an inevitable thing for me to work really hard to mimic um, mimic those idols, those, those folks that I was looking up to. Um, and so I, I started off as like a young activist and organizer in my community, which continued in my work in undergrad at Carleton. Um, after Graduating, I um, became a teacher through Teach for America mm. uh, in New Orleans, Louisiana, oh, wow. uh, where I really was working with young people to um, really understand the things that were acting upon their experiences and and to have voice around that. My background is in theater and African-American studies. And so really this sort of Augusto Boalian kind of perspective on art as a form of social justice. Um, eventually moved back to, to Minnesota, landed in the Twin Cities where a lot of my peers from Carleton were, um, and continued to do work with young people around, again, justice and voice landed at the Northside Achievement Zone at some point in that journey. Um, yeah, and just eventually made my way to, to Urban Homeworks. Um, and, you know, coming from education, there's such a clear direct link, right, between housing justice and stability and the impact that that has on a child's education or really truly their trajectory in life, period, their access to healthcare and wellness, the stability of their, their parental unit or their family structure um, and the opportunities that the adults in their household have access to. Um, and all of that impacts a young person's um, capacity to navigate our systems and maneuver and thrive. And so for me, um, 
housing is a piece of the puzzle. There are many important pieces when we look at, again, African-American history in this country. And really, there isn't a part of that fight that I wouldn't work on. Um, but ha- and have been fortunate, though, to work with Urban Homeworks on housing. Yeah, well, and, and again, just uh, uh, such a rich history there. And I, I share that same uh, family uh, family background and family history. I I also was raised uh, by parents and and in a broader extended family that had a lot of uh, were activists themselves. Certainly in you know the the area era of the Vietnam War. I I grew up in Rondo over in St. Paul and. Okay. And had a lot of aunts and uncles who were involved, and so it was clear. My nice. my son calls it the family business, actually. So yes, uh, yeah. <laughs> so you've you've done a fabulous job, um, and and um, and you're you're I, again. I want to come back to what you talked about in terms of voice and engagement as a centerpiece of of the work. Um, and and can you how, how do you again? You mentioned bringing electeds and residents together as one example of that. At PPL, we've really been thinking about how when we're about to build something new in particular in in, in developing housing, um, how we engage the community and how we you know speak and and in and interact with our community is part of the design process actually. Are there yeah. other ways that you guys are able to do that and that you work on that uh, at at Urban Homeworks? Yeah, so I I don't know that it, that it is necessarily different from the way you all do it at PPL. I'll just share our background um, with it at Urban Homeworks, which is that we have a model called a people-oriented develop, development model, which literally takes our housing units um, and looks out at like a one block radius geographic orientation. Like, okay, what is happening in that specific community? Um, so that involves not only our residents specifically, but also their neighbors. And for us, when we have pod gatherings or pod meetings, you know, we're really bringing folks together to talk about what is acting on the neighborhood right now. What are the things impacting um, your comfort, um, your safety? Um, What are things that you're concerned about? Like, for example, the blue line uh, over in North Minneapolis, you know, that's really Of course, we have access to understand those things from our connection to policy and electives, but hearing how our residents are engaging and thinking about these things is really what determines, okay, what are our next steps around a particular development project coming into the community, um, et cetera. So pod meetings for us are a central place to really just get that feedback very directly. It's not like an email communication or a survey, it's a conversation. Um, we also use that space to share with them things that we know are coming down the pipe and get their direct feedback. Uh, if we know that certain policies are being crafted, you know, what do you all think about this? What input do you have? Um, and it's also a place for just, you know, basic community building, which I know you know that this, I mean, this happens with you all as well, that there's also just that camaraderie of res- bringing residents together and neighbors together. Um, and that's really valuable to folks feeling really grounded and secure in their communities. Um, other ways that we have connected folks is, you know, we do these policy forums, we do two a year. Um, and that's where, you know, we, um, based on what's happening either directly in the neighborhood or in the political landscape, choose a topic um, and bring electeds that are focused on that topic 
to really directly talk to our residents and community members about that, those issues. Um, we also do, we've transformed our volunteer program, mm. which I think is really one of the coolest things I think that we've been able to do. So historically, you know, our volunteer program probably looked like a lot of volunteer programs where you have a lot of folks coming from outside of the community. Yeah. The volunteer folks that don't look like our like majority of our neighbors. Um, and in 2021, we started to intentionally invite community members to come volunteer and hang out with mm-hmm. us. And, and that was really powerful because you could see immediately the impact that that was having on the families in the neighborhood and the young people in particular, which, you know, I love young people. So it's like seeing young people be like, well, you look like me and you're working on a home in my neighborhood for someone to own in the future. That's exciting. How can I get involved? How can I come help out? Um, And so we've really just built on that. Uh, And, and I love, you know, I, and I, again, it's like, you know, it's like talking to someone that I know understands what I'm saying, like that feeling when, you know, people are getting their power because it's in collaboration with others like them. And they're like feeling like, oh, we have power here. And this is a way we can reclaim our spaces and reclaim our community. Um, That there's nothing that matches that feeling when you witness that or you're a part of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, I, uh, and I want to talk more about kind of our work together in some of those spaces. And, um, but I I think we have seen that um, as well. And certainly, you know, in these last three, four years, as neighborhoods and places have been so disrupted, yes. you know, through the multiple pandemics, the multiple pan- the pandemic, it's not just COVID, it's COVID right. followed by George Floyd, followed by election unrest, followed by insurrection, right. followed by, again, just kind of the, 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 the dynamics of the, of the civic Dis discord, you know, yes. um, have so yes. impacted our communities and our people. Um, yes. And and that is that's an area where we have and and you all and other organizations, especially here on the South Side, uh, have been collaborating for several years now, um, particularly around community safety. And I want to talk more about, you know, just kind of the safety issues that that we're experiencing, and particularly here in in Phillips and Ventura, where you all have your roots and. And and a strong presence, and PPL certainly has deep roots uh, yes. in this neighborhood. And and I that that work is 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 the is the Southside Peacekeeping Coalition work that you all and I think PPL kind of jointly spearheaded. But you all have been a, a tremendous leader in that work. But talk talk about that work and what what have you seen? Um, talk first about the issues around safety in our neighborhoods. Um, uh, you know, I just uh, we we recently a couple of weeks ago we saw you know headline in the Star Tribune saying, you know, crime is down, um, and, and and I think statistically overall it is, um, and and there's all kinds of different types of crime, but but for for us and I I know for you all um, and for our residents most importantly and for the kids in our schools. It, it uh, the spikes that we have seen in the last in recent years have really been. Um, significant, but but can you just say a little bit? What do you think's going on? What have what have you all been seeing? And and then I want to pivot to talk about the the coalition and the work that we've been doing together. Perfect, perfect. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I would say that one of the profound things that we've seen um, being a North and South side based organization is that in communities um, that are predominantly of color, and I mean, where the population of color is over 40% um, and communities where the um, area median income averages around um, 30 to $40,000, right? You're seeing um, violence really or crime be kind of pushed into those communities uh, in what feels like very similar ways where um, you have these pockets that are not quite so public um, where drug dealing, drug exchange, drug usage is happening. Um, sometimes sol sexual solicitation is also happening in those areas. And as a result of sort of like turf wars um, around the capital that drugs and sex bring, um, you, you see gun violence. And um, unfortunately, what I think is what has been happening is is that there have been a lot of outcries in both the Ventura Village community and South and I would say along 21st Avenue in North Minneapolis of folks really folks who are community invested really wanting the city to respond um that's like help like we are doing what we can um but you all as a city also have a responsibility to show up and respond to these things you know, gun violence, to your point, Paul, about different kinds of crime, gun violence is a very particular kind of crime. And it's a kind of crime where, um, you know, it's a life threat. It's a life threatening crime that people like everyday folks don't necessarily have tools to protect themselves against. Right. If there's drug dealing happening outside of your home, you can go inside of your home. Um, if there's other activity happening where there aren't stray bullets flying, potentially flying through your home or through your community, you know, there's places you can go to find shelter and security, but gun violence doesn't have that opportunity. Um, and so that's where we really want the city to, to show up. Um, and so there've been a lot of cries from, again, folks around the 21st Avenue North community and the Ventura Village uh, around PV Park, right? Like it's kind of like PV Park got shut down and that activity got moved closer to our properties, PPL properties, Hope Communities, right? You all have a school as well. Um, and, and so that's what we're seeing. And so this was in, so for us in 2020, Urban Homeworks, like after the civil unrest and really the response to the civil unrest, which was also another layer of violence that was brought into our communities, um, we started partnering with peacekeepers, with like community-based kind of violence prevention folks who were based in the communities, lived in the communities that were seeing the violence and had a hi history of actually building relationships with folks that were practicing this violence. Um, and so Urban Homework started doing that in 2020 um, in North. And in 2021, we expanded it to South. And that's when we had this opportunity with PPL to come together, which was really beautiful. And so in 2021, Southside Peacekeeping Coalition was literally just PPL and Urban Homeworks. Um, and it was the two organizations saying, like, listening to our residents and saying, like, okay, 
Although we feel like we both agree that the city needs to step up and do more, in the meantime, we cannot ask our families to wait. We have to do what we can. Um, and so then we started sharing the cost um, and kind of the, the burden, the responsibility of that as, as two organizations that didn't necessarily budget for that kind of engagement. Um, and so it was really a helpful, you know, it was like we were sharing brain trust and ideas around it, sharing resources. Um, and in 2022 is when the Peacekeeping Coalition really started to expand. And we brought in Norway House, um, Ventura Village Neighborhood Association, Centro Tyrone Guzman, um, Chase Bank was a part of the group for a while. Um, yeah. And yeah, and that's when we really took off. The work well, and, and I, yeah, and, and I, uh, you know, again, just in, in this in this particular area and, and, and in any neighborhood, you know, it turns out that community engagement and community-based strategies, right? Violence interrupters, getting folks from our community to get out onto the street. Turns out that those are, that's part of the solution. So we absolutely need um, a different kind of policing. We need more policing. We need, um, we need the city to step up. And, and that has been, I'll just say it, frankly, it has been frustrating. Uh, we have reached out time and time again to, to city leadership to get responsiveness, uh, especially at Franklin yes. uh, and Chicago and the blocks, you know, surrounding it, you know, let's just say the four to yeah. six block area, you know, kind of surrounding it around Hope Community at Portland throughout, you know, the the Phillips, yeah. the kind of this north side of Phillips and the Ventura Village area. So, yeah. um, so, but and I mean, it, this is very much a community based response. Okay, we need to get together and do yes. something about this. PPL spends hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on private security, on on our own, you know, safety strategies like this. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the, uh, at one point we, I, we were, we were, the, the coalition was talking about somewhere upwards of $200,000 in costs yep. that the coalition was, was bearing, um, not the city. That's and again, right. That's, as you said, it's it, that, that wasn't budgeted for. Um, right. That's right. In, in, in my mind. And again, I, you make some great points there about, about the uniqueness of, gun violence in particular. And I think you're right on there that the kind of the turf wars around, you know, the drug dealing um, is absolutely part of it. I also think that we have significantly, it, it is such a sign of how we have failed to deal with addiction. Yes. Um, and, and the fentanyl crisis is yes. just, um, is just profound. Uh, and, and the way that that has impacted our communities the, the kind of the street dealing, um, the the cheapness of that drug. It's kind of like the second coming of crack. Yeah, you know, was back in the back in the eighties and nineties. Um, yeah. but I, I think we the, the community has failed to deal with addiction directly. I think we have not figured out um, homelessness and the encampments right. and and when those kind of have been in and around our community that feeds into kind of that same street level activity. And we're seeing that, you know, along Lake Street, seeing it at different, as you said, different parts of the North side, seeing it here on Franklin and Chicago and along Franklin Avenue. And then I think the other piece that's, that's a, a another factor is, is mental health. 
mm-hmm. and and mental illness and our mm-hmm. failure to tackle mental illness and all these things are intersecting. That's right. right. They're intersecting on the streets and have been intersecting and have been accelerated by these multiple pandemics. That's right. Uh, and as you said, have been pushed into kind of these very particular places. Um, That's right. That's so, right. So it, it is, it's a, it's a transformative time and I um, it's frustrating for us and I'm sure it is for you as well. We, we, we really believe in being an asset based organization. We want to talk about the strengths and the beauty of community. I see revitalization happening along Lake street. I see the rebirth of Lake street. I see positive things happening on the north side, these are communities that have assets and strengths. That's right. Yet we ha- are having to deal with kind of these very, um, very challenging um, realities. So, so say a little bit more. Just, uh, I mean, you talked about uh, having violence interrupters and engaging folks from the community to be out, uh, kind of trying to engage and 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 break up some of this activity. That's right. What are some other ideas and and strategies that you all have been thinking about or or using um, to tackle these issues of safety? Absolutely, and I really appreciate your mention of the other factors at play. And I think that that's one of the coolest things about the coalition in my mind is that we're not just thinking about the most superficial layer, right? We're we're considering mental health. We're considering addiction. Um, And that's really creating a sort of compassionate view and a compassionate center um, and drive in how we come together as a as a group, as a coalition. And so um, with that compassion, we've started having these community listening sessions, um, which has been really beautiful and powerful. We've had four um, this year so far, starting with the summer. We began in the summer Um, and really expanding just the network of folks that we're bringing together to say like, how does it feel in this community? What do you want to see in the community? And and really also, what do you want to do yourself about it? Because it's really easy to point a finger and say, I need somebody else to do something, but it's empowering to say, this is what I can do to contribute to the collective safety of my neighbors and myself and my family. Um, And our last session, I think, was probably one of the most um, just impactful sessions that we had because we had the police inspector there and some of the police staff. And we had uh, folks from Councilmember Osman's um, office in the room as well. And so for them also to witness the number of community members that are willing to show up at night, even when a large majority feel unsafe leaving their front door at night, Um, but that this was important enough, valuable enough for them to kind of risk that fear and show up, um, I think was really important for the police and the city to see um, and also hear the way people are talking about these things, right? Like it's, you know, things that you and I are in these conversations often, but I think for those folks, they're not in these conversations often with residents and business owners um, saying, here's what we're seeing in community. Here's what we feel powerless around that we could really use some help with. And here's what we feel like we can address as everyday citizens that don't have any particular status or access um, to power in our communities. 
And so my hope for the coalition is that we really continue on that pathway of not only providing, uh, filling a gap and providing something that the city seems to have a number of excuses around why they can't show up in those ways, um, we will continue to fill that gap as much as possible as a coalition. And also we will continue to bring the police and bring city staff along with us so that we can all start to feel like we're doing this work together. Um, I know the the city just did a series of listening sessions, I think, with around criminal justice. I wasn't able to 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 make any of those. Um, I'm not sure if you were, but um, um I've been part of those, you know, sessions in the past. I, I, I'm thrilled to hear that uh, your most recent session, you know, had the, the 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 inspector involved. And I agree with you wholeheartedly that when they're there, that the conversation sounds different. And one of the things that I find uh, to be important in that, and I'd like to get your sense on this, is what, why is it different when you host mm-hmm. and invite versus city government saying, hey, come mm-hmm. and come and talk to us. What, what, what do you think? What's a, what's a, why is that seem to be different? Cause we we've seen that as well at PPL. Yes. Yeah. I love, love that question. Um, because my sense is that we have established a foundation with the community that says that their voice matters, that we will respond to it, that we won't just sit in a room and talk but that we will have actions. One of the commitments of the Southside Peacekeeping Coalition is that after every meeting, we walk away with to-do items that everyone in the room is responsible for coming to the next meeting, having accomplished. And that's on an organizational level, as well as an individual neighbor-to-neighbor level. And I think when people trust, right? When they're like, oh, you're gonna do the thing you said you're gonna do. You're not, and we're not going to just waste time sitting in this room talking about a problem that we've been talking about for, in some cases, generations. Um, I think that changes the conversation. People feel um, that their voice matters. And so what I saw um, in this last session, which was on Tuesday, uh, the 26th, September 26th, um, was that residents were standing up with confidence and speaking directly to Inspector Gomez to say like, this is what is happening, Inspector, and this is what we need from you. Um, And I think, I mean, exactly to your point, I think that that was because they had that foundation of trust for the space we had created. Yeah. And I I think that, I think that trust uh, again is, 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 is huge. And and having a, a track record, a longer track record of relationships and presence mm-hmm. and trust, as I like to say, in good times and in bad, in sickness and in health, mm-hmm. you know, till death do us part, literally, that that that's the relationship between your organization and the community. And that is the relationship between PPL, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the community. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So so I'm just uh, I'm just thinking, uh, you know, kind of looking looking forward as you think about um you know is there one big idea out there that you'd 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 really like to push if if you had a magic wand and could could kind of find one one idea one strategy that you think would be transformative what what might that be yeah i think in terms of community safety 
Um, I so I'm a millennial and I don't mind owning that. So my my personal experience is limited, but I do learn a lot from my elders, right? Coming from right, the family background that I have. Um and one thing I used to that has fascinated me is this idea of a beat cop. And my understanding of beat cops, again, this is not something I witnessed with my own eyes because I don't think millennials got to see the beat cop era. Um, but my understanding of the beat cop is that the beat cop is someone that has like a beat is a very specific geographic area that you are responsible for. You are not going to be sent all over the place. You're going to know a community, a part of a community. You're going to know who lives there and you're going to know it so well that you're also going to know who visits there, whose grandson is that. Right. Um, and I think that that's what we need today. Um, I think that regardless of the title that we give that activity, whether it's peacekeeper, community peacekeepers, um, I think that the notion of sort of a community security force has to be folks that live in that community, have deep relationships in that community, um, and aren't going to overreact based on um, biases that they might not themselves be aware of, but they're going to respond based on their true and actual knowledge of what goes on in that neighborhood. They're going to know, okay, school gets out at this time. And I know I got my, my group of, of young people that haven't found their after school activity yet. So I'm going to go hang out with them right now and, and talk to them and see what we want to, what we want to get involved in together. Um, I know that, you know, this elder gets off the bus at this time and I'm going to go make sure that that elder has some support walking to her home because it's kind of a long distance from the bus stop to her property. Mm -hmm. um, that's what we need. We need community centered care that is responsive to what's going on. Um, and I think that when you're from a place, when you're invested in a place, there isn't a, I go home someplace else at night, right? I get to remove myself from this. Um, you have a different approach to the work that you do when it's also your home. Well, that is just flat out old fashioned community, community policing, right? I mean, it, it, amazing how we come back to the same print and I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, uh, in, in my, my home community, you know, Rondo over in St. Paul, if you knew Corky and Linda, Linda Finney, if you knew the Benners, if you knew Melvin Carter's dad, if you knew, you know, uh, a, a number of those officers were of the community and, mm -hmm. and I'm sure I know they all had their struggles and, and St. Paul was a difficult place back then, and we certainly had issues of bias and discrimination. But um, but there there uh, right. that kind of connection to community and reflection of community, I do think I couldn't agree with you more. I do think is is absolutely uh, a part of part of the solution. So I right. I love that idea. I think we need to get back that. I also think to your earlier point about the the work of our coalition, the Southside Coalition. Um, Pairing that up with community-based resources, yes. with community-based efforts, 
and yes. it, and it's more than just the old neighborhood block watch, you know. Right. Keep, keep, right. keep your eyes out your windows. It's more than that. It's it is about community building, creating spaces. Some of the work that we've done with the coalition at one of our buildings, right on Franklin Avenue, you know, they're actually they're doing a food shelf on Fridays. But what what it's turned into is actually a community building activity. Yes. Um. And and uh, we've done you know wonderful events. You know, a, a a few years back, you know, the march that we did, our we organized those residents in that building, mm-hmm. and they did they did a they did a neighborhood welcome event. They invited oh. the neighborhood into their building, right? They organized uh, to have a direct conversation with the council member, with the mayor's chief of staff, with the inspector from the third precinct, um, and and that led to to them actually doing a march down Franklin Avenue right in front of all the folks right that are hanging out there and and said we want our community back. Yeah this was just prior to COVID. Um and when COVID hit again devastating for many communities because everybody was shut in. Right. And so there so so any kind of engagement, you know, connecting, you know, collaborating, all of that. So all all that is to say the importance of combining really good community-based policing or community-centered policing with community-based resources and community-based yes. folks. It's yes. that combination that I just I just think we have not we have not, you know, nailed that down and we haven't invested in it, you know, uh, by by yes. any stretch. By any stretch. Yes. So I 100% agree. I think one of the sweetest things that came out of a meeting about community violence um was that neighbors said things as simple as, I want to see all of you that are in this room out in community, and I want us to speak to each other. I want us to make eye contact. I want us to know that we can ask each other for help and support when needed. Um, and the, the, the action that came out of that meeting was a community cleanup, which is so simple. Yeah. And on spec, has nothing to do with violence. But to your point, Paul, for the folks in that room, it was about we need to take up space to say this is our community. And we're going to show that we have a lot of care for this place by doing a community cleanup together. Um, So it's really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's a great example. And again, it's at the heart of what I think community development should be about. It shouldn't be about building buildings or or rehabbing or i mean it should be about building community yes. and 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 real estate and housing and business development are are means to that end yes. all of which gets rooted in community voice yes and and community vision um yes. so well one That's last great. question here i mean as you kind of look out you know to, to the uh to the future you know the, the next you know 5 years or so of of kind of neighborhood work um, are, are, are you hopeful? Um, and, 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 and what, what are you hopeful about and, and kind of where do you see our community going here in, in the coming years? Yeah, I actually, I actually am hopeful. Um, and I'm hopeful because, because the community still has hope. And that means that people are still willing to show up and put in energy and effort to make our spaces home. Um, I really like what I see in folks being galvanized to do themselves 
while also recognizing who has more power and access in particular ways and continuing to demand that they do something as well. Mm. Um, and so I, in the, in the next five years, I'll focus on uh, Southside Peacekeeping Coalition specifically. My hope is that in the next five years, um, we see that Ventura Village area transformed by this collective action that we're, we're starting together. Um, and that we have not pushed the issue out of community, but rather we have addressed it so that folks in the area who are suffering from mental health struggles, folks that are struggling or suffering from addiction, have received the support that they need because we have demanded it as a coalition that Hennepin County and the city of Minneapolis put their resources to supporting and caring for those neighbors who are just as valid as the neighbors who do not have addiction, as the neighbors who are not struggling with mental health. Um, I also see our activity around peacekeeping being an avenue and an outlet for young people who again, like we talked about the volunteerism at Urban Homeworks, when you see people that look like you having fun in the neighborhood together, right? Doing things that are like reviving the neighborhood, you get excited. Um, and so really seeing young people, and young people have attended our meetings, which is really cool. Um, but seeing young people say like, great, this is what I'm thinking about. When I'm thinking about what am I doing after school? When I'm thinking about, uh, how I want to engage as an, an adult in my community. I'm thinking about the work of the Southside Peacekeeping Coalition. Um, that's my hope. Yeah. Well, that is just an absolutely fabulous. So grateful for your work. Um, you all are a gift to our community. Um, and uh, we're just proud to, to to be a partner with you all. And uh, again, you have so many good ideas. I've, I've been taking notes here. You know, you, you talked about the work of the Southside, you know, Peacekeeping Coalition pod conversations, listening sessions, who invites matters, um, you know, kind of incorporating action items right into the discussion for follow-up, uh, the importance of, of, of government role, different approaches to community-based policing, um, truly making it a, a community-based, uh, community building as a tool for community engagement and as a tool for safety, all um, fantastic, uh, fantastic ideas. So grateful uh, for your work um, and grateful for everyone for joining us today. Uh, thank you for listening in. I'm Paul Williams from PPL, and this has been the Race, Place, and Policy podcast. We'd love to hear what you all think uh, as well. So drop us a note uh, at communications at ppl-inc.org. Uh, we hope you'll subscribe and sign up for notifications uh, from wherever you get your podcasts. So you can always uh, find us on our broader the, the website uh, for PPL, which is uh, ppl-inc.org. So until next time, thank you so much and have a great uh, have a great and peaceful week. <laughs>